0: what is up you guys thank you for joining me today on the life like a movie podcast i'm so pumped that you're here so this podcast as you know has two goals one to eliminate unnecessary suffering anxiety depression addiction and number two how can we squeeze the juice out of life that's the goal of this podcast and today we have someone who can absolutely help with this and her name is emmy brunner she focuses on holistic healing as opposed to, say, giving people diagnoses and medication. And she actually runs her home her own clinic where she deals with mental health. And this is extremely prevalent amongst a lot of us probably watching. I know I've been through it, and I'm still going through it. So I am so, so excited to see what she has to say and to dive deeper into her world, because, oh my God, I'm sure we could all use a little bit of help with this topic every now and again. And I know I could. All right, so without further ado, let's dive right in. Okay. So, okay. I, I, first of all, I love that you focus on the holistic side of things
1: uh-huh. and not the
0: medication. I feel like I have so many friends or I know people who go straight into uh, a medication and they, they trust it so much more than they trust something yeah. even like exercise, like something yeah. as basic as that. And for me, that just boggles my mind because um, that just makes so much sense. So uh, I'm very happy to hear that you focus more on the holistic side. What brought you to that? Was there something in your life perhaps that, that, they, changed, yes. they wanted you to go into this field to begin with?
1: Yeah. So as a young person, I had like mental health issues. And mm. um, what I kind of came to learn as I was older is a lot of the treatment around eating disorders and yes, and anxiety was very much focused um, on trying to stabilize people, trying to get people to eat better and do better. And it wasn't necessarily as curious as I thought it should be around what the origins of that those illnesses were and why they've become established. Interesting. Okay. Those, uh, such coping strategies for people, which is one of the reasons it's so hard to let go of those behaviours, is because they are serving a purpose for people. And mm-hmm. it's only learning what that purpose is and not necessarily just seeing it as a bad thing, but actually recognising it might not be the healthiest coping tool, but it is a tool. Um yeah. the only way for people to let it go is to develop an alternative.
0: An alternative coping Interesting that i write that down um because for me that that really hits home uh my audience knows that i've had an eating disorder and i'm still getting over it it's fr- yeah. i've thought i've thought multiple times that it's like a, okay i'm fixed but it seems to be like a it's a mental thing so it seems to stick with me a little bit yeah. and i guess i haven't completely detached from that part of myself so it's really it really piques my curiosity because of that and so i want to provide some value to, to my audience because they're about Seventeen to twenty-four years old seems to be about the demographic, and there is, um, mental plenty of mental illness to go around for that demographic, you know, and so um, I'd love to, I'd love to delve a little bit deeper into this, um, these mental blocks, these things like eating disorders, anxiety, depression. Yeah. Do they stem from childhood trauma? That seems to be a common theme that I'm seeing lately. Like, does it all stem Uh from there? So, and and then so that's the first question and then the second part to the question is once we've identified where it comes from how do we then um start to cope and then remove that from our our psyche
1: i think what we all experience trauma in childhood and in adulthood we all do okay. and we either develop the tools to cope with that and process that or we don't um and for those of us that i think suffer with eating disorders, for example, is a great example, is what we've learned is to manage and cope with our emotions. We've learned to control our relationship with food and how we perceive ourselves physically. Yes. Really, the biggest myth about an eating disorder is that it's about food. But I think that's the piece (laughs) that gets a lot of attention because when people stop eating or overeating or controlling their food, then people around them really freak out. People don't like it and it scares people, understandably. Mm. So that often is the the area that gets the most attention. And actually, what that person is communicating to the outside world is – there is something wrong with how I feel either I feel I am undeserving of love and kindness and therefore I will reflect that by not feeding myself properly by not nurturing myself properly or I'm trying to communicate to you that I'm not okay so Mm -hmm. somebody, somebody with a very restrictive eating disorder they are visually communicating to the rest of the world that something is very wrong and even if they're cognitively not able to recognize that in the moment then I think that that so much of that is what's going on. So the first thing I do when I'm working with people with those symptoms is to just do some ed- psychoeducation with them and help them to learn a little bit more about their illness and be a bit more curious about it. Interesting. Because when the doctors and the parents are trying to get them to eat and trying to get them to not restrict, I feel like who they are and the wound that they have get, gets really lost. Mm, and really, so interesting. We want to be seen and we want to be heard and I think mm. that's true for all of us.
0: To be seen. We, we, we want that, uh, like, um, uh, like recognition. Would that be a good word?
1: Yeah. Like we want to feel that like
0: connection, love.
1: Yeah, I think, we really, I think we really want that connection with people. But yeah. I think what uh, it's typically true for a lot of sufferers of eating disorders is the fear is that if we're seen, if we're really seen, that we won't be loved and that we will Ooh. be rejected and so it's about trying to help somebody gain the confidence to take some risks and, and and share themselves with people that they that they can feel safe with
0: wow well when you said that just so everybody knows that hit me on a deep level so i think there's something there for me yeah. when like yeah. the fear of if we have really seen that we won't be loved something hit me i yeah. don't know what it is so i'll have to re- reflect on that later um so i am re- really curious so as to what you said before which is that we we might be visually communicating something to the world almost as if like we're it's like a cry for like a subconscious cry for help would that be a fair yeah, way of
1: putting it for, for prote- potentially but I think for so many of us we don't have the dialogue to communicate mm. what's going on with us you know for so many of the people that I've worked with they will say things like oh, I just feel like I'm crazy or I just feel like I'm messed yeah. up going mad they, they don't have the dialogue to be able to effectively communicate the, mm. the subtlety mm. of how they're feeling
0: interesting okay yeah, kinda of like a like a you know, like a mad scientist who like that was something that I thought of like who just like feels like they're so alone and like Yeah. They don't like yeah, there's just so much going on. That's interesting.
1: Yeah, so much going on. And I think part of what healing does is it allows us to develop a language to communicate what maybe is happening to us and we're going through.
0: Okay. That's very good advice. So what would somebody how would somebody start so say like someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, this makes sense. This is resonating with me. How what's like the first step that I could take, like uh, reflection wise, maybe, or how do I dig deep into my childhood trauma? What's the very first step I could take?
1: I think that I think I always say to people that, that there's two things that I would do: make all of your acts towards yourself motivated by compassion and kindness. So just try and be nicer to yourself because quite often what we do is we venture out kind of out of our little caves and we take a bit of a risk and then we really criticize ourselves when things don't go exactly as we want. Mm. Um, We use those experiences as an opportunity to just be intensely horrible to ourselves. So firstly, it's just being mindful of that. So this is going to be a process of being curious about who you are and and what's going on for you. And the second is try and tune in to that unwell voice because that unwell Mm -hmm. voice, is there kind of constantly being unkind to you and just recognizing it because it's very easy to learn that voice because it's quite it's quite monotonous like it's (laughs) like day in day out about everything (laughs) so you can you kind of get familiar with it and actually what you'll be less familiar with is a voice that says it's okay you know, everyone gets things wrong, everyone's making mistakes, we're all learning, we're all doing the best we can. That voice is not so familiar, but it's that one that needs exercising. Um, there's this expression we have in therapy. It's like when I'm talking to somebody, I'm like, when we're in the room, your eating disorder's doing push-ups outside, as in it's just waiting for its opportunity to get you back, to get its claws back in you when I'm not around. And, uh, oh, yeah, I know. It, yeah. It's just being wise to it and going, oh, hi, there you are.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, yeah.
1: Uh, voice and learning it because really it only has power if you attach power and meaning to it as soon as it's oh, okay. an unwell voice then really you can start to question whether it's something you want to be governed by
0: that's that's amazing and something that that I just I thought of um, one of my favorite uh, authors Eckhart Tolle says has one of my favorite quotes is what what we resist persist it's a very nice thing to remember and what you said kind of to connect it with that is to not like block it out and try to fight against it, yeah. but instead to work with it. I yeah. think that that is a very, very powerful principle that I have have not practiced as, as much as I, I could have, and it never works, fighting against it. It never works.
1: Uh, and it, and anyone that suffers with something like an eating disorder or depression knows that that voice will scream louder than anything else in the room. <laughs> you know? right. so it's about yeah. not trying to shout louder. It's about shifting your attention onto what you want rather than what you don't want.
0: Okay. Um, now just to twist directions a little bit. So to use like depression or eating disorder as an example. So we tend to go into like these subconscious behavioral patterns where we like, we don't, like, um, it's easy for me to use the eating disorder example. Cause that's the one that I've, I'm accustomed to, but so say like, say like somebody starts to like, they, they start listening to this voice a little bit too much. And they go into a subconscious pattern. And then 20 minutes later, they have a bag of chips in their hands, let's just say. And they don't know how they got there.
1: Yeah.
0: How? And like for me, I've really started yeah. being like very aware, like you're saying, like going with the emotion, like totally yeah. feeling it and just being a, an awareness as my body does this and grabs a chip bag. Like, I was like, you know what, I'm at such a point where like I'm just going to like even if I do eat these foods that I don't deem healthy, I'm just going to watch it all happen. Like I'm just going to actually be conscious there yeah um which is tough for me to do but how how does one then be conscious of these subconscious patterns and how can we like maybe like change the cue of the habit or change like the reward of the habit like how can we uh, change that subconscious habit basically
1: i think partly what you're describing is becoming more mindful so start to kind of show up in your life so rather than just Um, only engaging some of the time being really mindful about being present and asking yourself not just when you're in in a destructive pattern of behavior but just generally how am I feeling today checking in with yourself Mm -hmm. starting to create a dialogue with yourself about how you're doing and how you're feeling because these don't come out of nowhere they often are fueled by some of it's habitual, sure, but a lot of it is is fueled by a difficult conversation, a challenging trigger, something that set you off. And partly, is that you? I think
0: that might be you. Sorry. There you That's okay. <laughs>
1: Where do you want me to start again? It comes comes through my, my Mac. Oh, okay. So I was saying the thing that you were describing is mindfulness. And so essentially, it's about becoming more mindful of the triggers that you're exposed to and a moment that might have set you off on a certain path that you weren't necessarily aware of. And so the more you become mindful of what's going on for you, the more you can become conscious about changing direction. Um, And if you end up acting out on your behavior in a destructive way... um, the eating disorder in particular loves it when you're super hard to yourself about that um, mm. <laughs> It really relies on you to be unkind to yourself because an eating disorder can't exist in a, in a body that's nurturing and loving of itself. It can't, mm. it doesn't, it's not possible. Right. So the more compassionate you are when you have those slips or difficulties, difficulties, um, the more challenged the eating disorder becomes to to kind of survive.
0: Wow, okay. I'm taking so many notes right now. That's why I'm writing. <laughs>
1: that's
0: why I'm lo- looking down right now. Okay, so uh to get onto the next question, I'm I've been very curious as to how spirituality uh can affect our depression, our anxiety, our med- or I'm uh, not our meditation, uh, our addiction, yeah. things like this. It seems like to me, and I know that there's no one size fits all. Um, I just see meditation and mindfulness and even adopting like uh, a spiritual practice, like an act- like something you do every day. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that that could be such a catalyst for so many people, especially overtaking a drug. For me, that just it's like, wow, it just seems like such a, an easy thing to do. It's free. You yeah. can do it in 10 minutes in your home. Like it just seems so great. Um, so what role do you think spirituality can play for somebody, and it, is it a necessity? Um, and what would somebody do to start?
1: So, in my clinic, we run meditation classes every day um, wow, for exactly right? those reasons. Because if you're more, if you meditate, you're likely to reduce your anxiety symptoms by ninety percent. There isn't a drug oh on the that's going to do that. So, um, and it's something, as you say, that's free, that's accessible to all. I think one of the things that's difficult for people is when they start meditating. They literally imagine themselves sat in a room for an hour in silence. And do you know what? That's impossible for almost anybody, and certainly <laughs> that is just starting this for the first time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Actually,
1: making it really accessible and easy for you to do is the key. So many of your listeners will love their music, will be really into their music. Mm-hmm. And when you're listening to a piece of music that you really love, then guess what? You're meditating because you're just concentrating on that piece of music. You're not thinking about anything else. You're not right. engaged in anything else. And guess what, folks? That's you meditating. So if that's what's working for you, don't worry about what's working for somebody else or sitting, yeah. and listening to that guided app. If that doesn't work, stop. <laughs> If what works for you is sat in a room and giving yourself time and space and permission to just listen to your favorite record, then go ahead and do that. Because that's you finding a space to just focus on nothing other than being in the moment, which is really what meditation is about. The other key thing that I love about meditation is anyone who's in kind of a scene of like natural beauty whether it's you're watching a sunset or seeing like a starlit night you're completely in awe in that moment and you're yes, yes. and on what you're seeing you're meditating mm. that's what you're doing so use the tools that are at your disposal um and make the most of them and make up your own rules about what works for you
0: no kidding yeah um, yeah okay so I keep going
1: yeah
0: okay yeah um did you, did you have something more to say to that?
1: No, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, that's that just is so great. Like, <laughs> I I can just as someone who's experienced like been to the depth of some of these mental illnesses, like it's just like wow, that just seems like such great advice to me. And I I hope that resonated with somebody else, especially the part about creating like our own rules, making it for us. Like listening to a piece of music, some of my best joyful, uh, energetic moments was listening to one of my favorite pieces of music. Yeah. Now, I do subscribe to um, a meditation every day where I sit in silence and and walk, but that's also something that works for me. So I think that uh, meditation is such a a fluff word nowadays that Mm -hmm. people think it means like a Zen Buddhist, you just have to sit down for like four hours or, you know. So I think that's very beautiful that you said that just listen to your favorite piece of music, like the name of the game is to feel good, right?
1: Yeah. And so
0: if sitting down and Doing this, you know, absolutely. Make and you
1: can good. evolve it. So you know, as you get more confident about spending time in your own head, when that feels like a safer place to be, then you can challenge yourself to try different things and explore different things. Because what works for you at the beginning might be different so I'm six months in. So mm-hmm. just keep, you know, keep on coming back and trying different things.
0: Yeah, try, try, try. So how how does somebody? I, I've experimented a ton with with like my morning routine, my night routine, throughout the day, all this stuff. Wow. So. Um, and I, I definitely don't have a great system for it, uh, for like testing, testing, but what would you say for someone to, for test? Like how, how long is a good enough period would you say to test say 10 minutes right when I wake up or 10 minutes? after I eat breakfast or what's a good enough amount of time like seven days 30 days
1: yeah I would give yourself like a couple of weeks to try out new things but if you find yourself completely resistant to something from the very start listen to your own intuition because so many of us don't have confidence you know when we've had mental health difficulties we don't have confidence in in thinking that we might have an idea about what what might be right for us we're so willing to be guided by other people and actually so many of us have a really strong sense of intuition we just don't have any confidence in listening to it so if you've got a block against something then i'm like stop hammering on that door and change direction because maybe it's Mm -hmm. not so just start listening and thinking about how you feel in a moment and you will intuitively know whether something just needs a little bit more time or whether it's just not the right approach for you
0: okay yeah that's awesome Uh, Yes, I I found it myself tough to listen to that voice. And um, when you said like a guided meditation, I remember when I first started meditating, I went straight to the guided stuff. Yeah, I was like, and I yeah, and I um, even like five to 10 minutes wasn't didn't really do a whole lot for me. Then I would go for like a walk or listen to music. And then then I could really get into it. And it was awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah, having the self confidence to follow our intuition, I've never actually heard it in that way before. I always thought I maybe this is just a a limiting belief. I always just thought that we either were intuitive people or we weren't. Like some people were just more like, had that spiritual intuitive side to them and some people didn't. And maybe there is some truth to that, but um, I I never thought of it as being backed by self-confidence to actually follow the intuition And once we have it.
1: I think think that's a lot of it. I I think you're right. I think there are people who are particularly attuned, but I think a lot of it is just knowing yourself and being confident when you hear a voice to be able to trust it. And I think when you've had another voice in there that's really destructive and critical, people get very yes. frightened about listening to themselves. But actually, when you pick those things apart with a person and you, you really um, break it down, then people will often admit that they went into situations knowing they weren't right. They dated mm-hmm. people that they knew weren't good for them. <laughs> yeah. They did these things and there was a <laughs> niggling feeling inside them that 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 they weren't right it's they they can afford to be more confident about themselves because they themselves knew they just didn't listen or maybe they were driven by something more destructive that willingly pushed them into a scenario that where they were going to get hurt or be undermined and so it's important to be curious about your experiences and think about what was motivating your choices at the time
0: Mm. wow think about what was motivating our choices at that time i find it's it's like so would you say that say we have like some sort of depressive episode or anxious episode would you say that it's important to reflect post episode just so we can like so like if we like sleep it off then we forget a lot of what happens right so is it important right after we do it to like hey so what did i do leading up to this that may have caused this is it important to reflect right after
1: I do, uh, I do, but I've done in the most gentle and compassionate way. So I think your, oh, okay. you know, your first response after that is, wow, that was tough. I need to be really kind to myself now. And then just being curious, like, what went on for me there? What happened? And I think as soon as you approach yourself and your mental health like a science, you're kind of going off piste slightly. Like, oh,
0: interesting. Okay. If, okay.
1: if you're being intuitive. Um, yeah. Trying to be a bit more creative about how you're thinking about your approach to life, then I think that's where we find the answers.
0: Mm, that's so interesting. Could could you could you maybe expand a little bit on what creative and intuitive thinking looks like as opposed to a science based approach to dealing with mental illness? I'm so curious about that. I
1: think that so many people come in saying I've read this or I've done this, and they they're like I've got this really prescriptive way of living.
0: Mm, okay
1: at this time every day I do my therapy at this time and I'm not getting better and I'm like where where are you in that where is your creative self because I believe as human beings we're all creative beings um where are you curious about who you are and what you might um love and be interested in so many of our choices are dictated to by what society expects from us what our family ex- expectations are and who we are and what we might need or want um could be really lost in that at a, at a certain point and i think that's true for a lot of the younger people that i work with okay. you know, just thinking about who you are and what you might be interested in
0: yes that's so interesting um i i Uh, I want to actually go a little bit off off course now because I just had a new idea of a question. I think it'll really provide some value to the listeners because they are so young, um, like myself, and a lot of us don't necessarily know what to do with our lives, per se, Yeah. Yeah. and that seems to cause anxiety for some crazy reason. I feel lucky because I don't feel that anxiety.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but I know like I've, I'll talk to people or people will ask me because I'm so, you know, anti that people will say, like, how do you not care? Or, like, what do I do with my life? And like, I don't really know. But like, I just say, like, explore, just try, try and don't like like what's the worst that can happen? That kind of attitude. Yeah. So like what what would somebody be able to do to like to actually have the confidence to trust their intuition and and make that move? Or yeah. have faith and actually try and be okay, whatever the result, like detached from the outcome. So,
1: so le- let me tell you a secret about this. Ooh, I love that. It doesn't actually matter, okay?
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, because what we're what we're kind of schooled to think is this very archaic thing that we follow this Um, path of learning and behaving in a certain way and then we get security and this is our outcome as an adult and actually that path can work for some people but it doesn't work for lots of people And if you're one of those few people, and there are very few, that wakes up and knows from a really young age that they want to be a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or whatever it is, then good for you. You've got a really clear career path set out, and that's amazing. You follow your dream. But if you're in the majority who don't have a clear idea, then give yourself permission to let the universe guide you. Because when you get your head down so hard working on a plan, you don't always see where you're going. And you miss mm-hmm. opportunities that might be there for you that you're not open to because you're too scared of going off this path mm-hmm. that you think is being set for you. And actually, some of the greatest opportunities that come up for us in life, we can't control. We didn't know they were coming. We, didn't, we, could, we couldn't have possibly have predicted them. And when we get too set on a certain plan, we miss out on those opportunities. And it's those things that guide us. And it's those things that actually end up forming who we are, the relationships that we have, and the careers that we have. I think the important thing as a young person, particularly when you're going to go and study, is to go and study something that you enjoy and you love because you've got to do it every day for a while. (laughs) Yeah. So it's got to be something that makes you happy. Same with your friends. Spend time with people who are willing to accept you for who you are or willing to challenge you when you're you're not being the coolest then are willing to stick to the, <laughs> yes. the good bad and the ugly because that's what you know that's their real friendships that are formed you know there yeah
0: i love that yeah. um I, i'm gonna bring up a, a deepak chopper quote that i swear I, I bring up way too much yeah. but uh, it is uh, to live in the wisdom of uncertainty is how he puts it and i think that's so beautiful because just yeah. like you said when we focus on one certain outcome we eliminate all the, in, like, the infinite field of possibilities. And so yeah. that doesn't sound exciting. And, and but, I, yeah, so I, I think that's important to know. I think it's
1: really important, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, so, but, like, how does somebody have faith in, in the infinite possibilities? This is where, for me, like, spiritual practice really, really helps me. Like, for yeah. me, it's, like, very, very easy to, to believe in the infinite possibilities and to get excited about that um, yeah. because of my spiritual practice. But, what? what okay, let's just say there's somebody – who is super like super like even like atheist like anti-spiritual let's just say yeah and and like how how does somebody like that get over the anxiety of you know not knowing and
1: because you don't you don't have to be spiritual to recognize that you have very limited control over the way things are gonna go Mm, okay Okay? so partly being spiritual can be about having a faith in something greater and than yourself but it can also be a really humbling experience where you begin to accept that actually you only have a modicum of control over the way things go and if you accept that then you can just afford to let go so
0: you can
1: only control you can control you can try and keep your side of the street clean treat people as you would wish to be treated try and make the most of the opportunities you have that's all you can do that's all any of us can do yeah. To do that, it releases the biggest weight off your shoulders because you're not trying so hard to control everything and every experience you have and every outcome. And so you don't need to be um yeah, like religious in some way or
0: yeah, yeah. be
1: able to get your head around that. It really actually is much more of a science of going, I am just one human being and I'm just yeah. gonna let myself have a human experience for as long as I have it and try and make the most of it and keep coming back to that which is challenging for all of us you know we all get drawn into this sense especially when things aren't going the way that we want of trying to control everything yeah you just got to let go
0: yeah oh man yeah I I think that's wonderful wonderful advice that sounds awesome it really hits home with me hopefully a lot of other people too so I do you have a little bit more time I know you
1: i've got like five minutes is that okay oh,
0: okay yeah wonderful okay I, I actually just have one more question oh great um yeah but it, it's a su- super quick answer it is um how much of depression and anxiety is genetic and how much is in our control this is something i'm very fascinated by because i and just so everybody knows to, to preface this i'm a i'm very um wishy-washy like fluffy when it comes to like it's all in your control man like just like you can do it all that so how much is actually genetics and how much can we actually control
1: well let me tell you this mm-hmm. what research has shown us lately is that trauma can actually change your DNA. No way. It can actually change your DNA. Holy crap. So what we what we believe and what we know is still to me such a fluid thing. It's such mm-hmm. a thing and um what I do know is that we inherit coping strategies from the people that raise us, rightly or wrongly. And so if we've been raised by people struggling with depression and anxiety, one could put that down to some sort of genetic inheritance, or it could be actually we've been exposed to these coping strategies by the people that have raised us, and so we're replicating them. So I think the biggest gift that you can give yourself is the gift of hope and possibility, the people that I find who are most entrenched in their illnesses are the, are the people who've got the same rhetoric of, this isn't going to get better, I'm going to be like this forever, and they have no hope. As soon as you install hope and possibility in people, they start to get better. And I have seen people who have been really unwell for many, many years and have been told that they're always going to be unwell, make the most miraculous recoveries, and um, become individuals. I don't think we can even begin to comprehend what's possible when we believe things are possible. Um, oh, man. And I think yeah, okay. we can only touch on the, the edges of that. And I think mm. when we begin to look at the, the links between science and energy and our belief systems. I think it, all of this, just all bets are off, basically, and there are yeah. no- you're, you're there to make up the rules.
0: That's so cool. Wow. Like, it, it, that, that's kind of getting into epigenetics, correct?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Epigenetics and quantum physics, when you're thinking about the fact that we are all just energy when we, when we break that yeah. down. And so really, how can there be any certainty? And I think that's why when you talk cool. about trauma and see the links between trauma and, and DNA, we start to challenge even these kind of core concepts that we've always believed in, that DNA is this absolute you know, fixed thing that cannot be changed. We know now that that's not true. That there's evidence to show that that's not true and if that's the case then my god isn't anything possible
0: man that is insane well I think that's as, as good of a way to end it as any that was unbelievable yeah thank um,
1: you so much for having me it's been so lovely to talk to you
0: oh likewise my pleasure it's so it's so nice to to talk to somebody who's been through as much as you have and has as much experiential and theoretical knowledge as you do um, it's an absolute blessing for me so oh, I thank you so much great.
1: well keep doing what you're doing because it's really
0: special thank you Emmy I appreciate
1: With that it all.
0: oh my goodness you guys I am so grateful that Emmy came on that was unbelievable uh, for me especially I felt kind of selfish during that episode to be honest because she just helped me so so much two major realizations for me that i'm gonna have to go reflect on and to be honest i got a little teary-eyed and, and my, my emotions kind of acted up because she really hit me on a deep level i really hope that this can also help you guys get to know yourself a little bit better and a few tactics maybe to help yourself with your mental illness or any struggles that you may have i really hope you guys got half as much value as i feel like i just got from that and I hope to see you guys next time. Plenty more guests coming on just like Emmy who can really make an impact in, in our souls and into the depths of us and absolutely in the world. Thank you guys so much for watching. I'll see you next time.